0: Aloha, and thank you for joining us on our exciting adventure of walking through the New Testament as a participant in a life group. Open your heart to what God may be saying to you as we endeavor not only to hear His Word, but to obey. Here now is our Bible teacher, Pastor Jim Morocco. In contrast to the world's hatred that John mentions in verse 13. We see that an outward manifestation of the Christian is love. Now John states, we know. What he is saying is that we know this is a fact, that we have passed or crossed over from the realm of death to that of life. A Christian is one who has been resurrected out of a spiritual death into eternal life. Now John gives the reason for his certainty on this matter because We love the brethren. Love of the brethren is a sure sign of life. Just as in 2.10, love of one's brother was a sure sign of abiding in the light. And John clearly expresses that there are two diametrically opposed worlds one could live in. One where God is the Father, where there is light and love and truth and life. And one where the devil is the Father. And where there's darkness and lying and hatred and death. Now, if one is not loving his brother, but rather is hating his brother, he is clearly locked in the world of death. True Christians, those who have passed from death into life, will hunger for Christian fellowship and will delight to share together in the things of God and caring for one another. Now note, in verse 15, John again uses the generalization, whosoever, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and therefore cannot be presently in the kingdom of life. John isn't saying that a murderer cannot be forgiven, but if one is presently a murderer who is unrepentant and um, does not want forgiveness, he cannot possess eternal life. Well, one would think John is exaggerating here, but not so, because hatred and murder are very close to one another. In fact, John Calvin says this truth, for we wish him, the one who murders someone, is one who is wishing him to perish whom we hate. So therefore, hatred and murder go hand in hand, and therefore, hatred is murder from John's perspective. Now John moves to verse 16 where he gives us a definition of love. The definition of love is an example of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. Now the verb meaning for laid down pictures the laying aside of a garment. The point is that Jesus divested himself, gave his life for us. The point John makes is profound. True love is sacrificial. Self-sacrifice is the essence of love. Now John makes a great contrast between love represented by Christ's example and hate represented by Cain. The conclusion is very practical. Since we are Christians, followers of Christ, we should follow his example and sacrifice ourselves for our brothers. Now the practical application of this is brought out in verse 17. Not everyone is called on to give their life for another, but one example of self-sacrifice is sharing our possession with those in need. It's interesting that in verse 16, John uses the term brothers, and in verse 17, the singular form, brother. What he's doing is he's bringing love right down to how you and I treat a given individual. John's questioning of true love is a practical situation which brings to bear our responsibility. We are responsible if we see our brother's need and are in a position to help. Now, if we, as John states, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, that is, in the New English version, has no pity on him, or as the Revised Standard Version would translate, closes his heart against him, that is, we're not emotionally concerned about his needs. It is very clear And John asked this question, how can the love of God be in him? Implying that there really is no love in us. God's love dwells in each believer. And by the progression of thought here, a very clear message is given. Every believer is indwelt by the love of God. That's a sign of God's life in them. And that love was expressed in Christ through a sacrifice. Therefore, if we are believers, it should be expressed in us. Love demands the giving of our life, the direct opposite of the pride of life that's a part of the kingdom of darkness that John mentions in chapter 2, verse 16. Well, this brings John to an exhortation to his spiritual family to remember that actions speak louder than words, and real love is more than sentimental words or talk about love, but but deeds. Now it's because we have a genuine lifestyle of love, God's love is indwelling in us, that we are assured of being in the truth. And this is important because we are not only outwardly hated by the word, world, but inwardly as well. Our conscience or our heart, our feelings, oftentimes condemn us. It is, during, it is during those times that we feel condemned inwardly, either because of something we've done or something we haven't done. That that condemnation oftentimes drives us to despair and causes us to want to give up. But John brings us help by having us look at two things. The first, that the awareness that we are in the truth through our love for the brethren is something that assures our hearts. And secondly, Focusing in on God and the fact that He knows everything and His response to us is not limited to our response to ourself and that He's greater than our conscience. Helps us. Helps us in our relationship with God. Helps us to be free from condemnation. Condemnation outwardly, as I mentioned, when the world tries to condemn us and inwardly when our own spirit, our own conscience tries to condemn us. It's at this point in verse 21 that John moves on from how to reassure a heart when it's condemned to the blessing of a heart that's not condemned. The first blessing of a heart that is free from any condemnation is confidence before God. And that is a relationship with God that is free and unrestricted. It's the thought of, of being bold, the kind of boldness that Jesus would have had as a son before the Father to come into his presence. In essence, John is saying to us that when we are free of inward condemnation, we can come to the Father just as children. And this brings us into a position of asking and receiving answers from God in prayer. John states, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. See, we are in a position of receiving from God, which is based on First, the inward response to God, a clear conscience, and secondly, an outward response, which is keeping His commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now John, in verse 23, explains at least what he means by keeping His commandments. It really boils down to two commandments. The first one is belief. Not just shallow belief in anything, but belief on the name of His Son, Jesus. What John is saying is true belief in who Jesus is, his deity, his eternal sonship, and his saving work as the anointed Messiah. The second commandment is love. Not only belief, but now love, loving one another. It's interesting because Jesus really summed up all the commandments by saying, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Which really is, in essence, true belief in Jesus. And then secondly, loving your neighbor as yourself. What John says that we need to do. Love. True belief and love. That is the confession of faith, which is a decisive act. Someone confesses their faith in Christ. And then love for the brethren, which is a continuous living out of that faith. What John states, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Now this sounds very similar to Jesus' words in John 15, 1. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Well, that's exactly what John has just got through saying here. The tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous privilege that all comes from obedience to Christ. The importance of obedience to Christ. No one can dare boast of being in Christ unless he is obedient to the commandments. And John has been sharing what these commandments are. They boil down to basically three things. True belief in Christ, love for the brethren, and earlier in this chapter, moral righteousness. Well, John finally concludes by talking about the Spirit of God. He mentions... And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Another proof of the knowledge of the working of God in us, and that is Christ abiding in us through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God in us is a sign of God's life in us. And it's the Spirit of God working through us and manifested outwardly in our lives through righteous living and love for the brethren and true doctrine. I'll be back in a moment with the application. Let's look at some application of this passage to our life. One insight is this. It's easy for us to say, Oh, I love everybody. Looking at humanity with a capital H, I love everybody. And then somebody comes into your life that you don't like, and you make it very clear that you don't like them. But when it comes down to a single person, given individual, you say, Oh, no, I don't like that person. You see, sometimes we can think our love is real, but our love is only real when it comes down to individuals. It's like a person who says, I love that church, but then dislikes certain certain people in that church. The church represents real people. And one of the things we have to be careful of is if we are not moving in love as God has called us to move in, we end up being open to being caught in the kingdom of darkness through hatred. Hatred's a very difficult thing because oftentimes hatred ends up in our lives from incidences that have happened a long, long time ago. I've known of people that have never truly forgiven their husband or forgiven their wife for something that happened a long time ago. And hatred brews so that when a little thing happens, that hatred comes out in full force. Now that hatred is bad news. And the reason it's so bad news is because it is seen by God as murder. You say, oh, that's hard for me to believe. No, it shouldn't be. The reason it shouldn't be is because it's hatred that breeds murder. Not going to have murder unless there's hatred, a desire to do somebody in, get rid of him. Well, the sin is that attitude. Because that attitude is the basis for the action. And hatred works both ways. It not only affects the person whom you hate, but it affects you. Because since it's living in your life, it cuts you off from the kingdom of light. Cut you off from God's grace. And it destroys you just as any sin that you would commit would destroy yourself. As well as the person the sin is committed against. And get rid of that hatred. Say, well, pastor, how do I do that? God's given you an example. His own example of forgiveness. Of beginning to act toward that person in love. You say, well, I don't love them. That's all right. Don't allow that emotion to begin to hinder genuine love. Genuine love's an action. You can begin to act toward them as though you do love them. And as you begin to act that way, God will change the emotions, change the feelings. Now another thing is that we need to be responsible for what we see and have. It's made very clear here if you see somebody else's need and you have the things that can be able to help them. Now, it makes us very clear. Some people have come to me and said, "Pastor, let's go do this." Now, they have seen that need. Well, by the very nature of the fact they've seen that need, they should be willing to move in that. Now, there are sometimes we see needs and we're not in a position to help. But by seeing that need, we may know of other people that would be able to help and therefore we can help in that way by channeling the meeting of that need through a different channel. Now love is a very real thing but love is really eyesight. It's eyesight seeing needs of people and moving with compassion to try to meet those needs. Eyesight and compassion very interesting aspect of love. Love is action actually doing something. Now Another thing we need to begin to see is that the problem of condemnation is very real. And the evil one would want us to be condemned. Some people get condemned easily because of the way they've been raised. That is they've always been raised by they've been raised by individuals who would constantly be putting them down, constantly putting them down, and so inside there's a mechanism that constantly condemns them, constantly condemns them. Now when these individuals become a Christian they sometimes have to cope with that habit or that lifestyle of people putting them down so much. And so oftentimes, even in little things they feel condemned in their hearts over things. Things that maybe they don't need to be condemned about. Or there are some individuals that get caught and they get condemned justly. I mean they've done things that their conscience is seared over and their conscience is hurting over. And they need to be forgiven and they have a hard time forgiving themselves. They've asked God to forgive them and they they believe God's forgiven them but they can't forgive themselves. Well both of those cases are cases of being condemned. Now God gives an answer here, very clear. And the answer is, look at who you are. You're a person in Christ. You're living in love. You're, You're actually living out what God would have you live. And that brings assurance that God is there. And then secondly, You know God, and he begins to share. John so beautifully shares the beauty of God and how God looks at us as all-loving God, all-knowing God. Boy, that makes all the difference, is that God knows our hearts, even knows our hearts when we're condemned and still loves us. It begins to bring us a clear awareness of the fact that we can stand before him healed and whole, and if God can forgive us, we can forgive ourselves. But the other thing I want to close that applies to our lives is the real power of prayer. It is incredible the message that is given here about prayer. That whatever we ask, we receive of Him. Now, I remember a lady one time in a book I read mentioned the fact that um, she came to a minister and the minister had been talking on prayer, and she'd asked this question. She said, How come God doesn't answer my prayer? There must not be a God because He doesn't answer my prayer. The minister opened to this pastor and said, Now let me ask you a question. Have you been keeping His commandments? Have you been doing those things that are pleasing in His sight? She said, Well, no, I guess not. Well, then he said, Well, God's not under any obligation to answer your prayer because He answers those prayers of those people that are doing keeping His commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in His sight. that's a real truth. God's made it very clear. His promise is real. If we believe Him, we're obeying Him, we're doing those things that are pleasing in His sight, living in intimate relationship with, doing His will. As we're doing His will, we're going to be praying in His will and God's going to answer us and give us everything we're praying about. If we're living in His will and doing His will, we're going to know that intimacy of relationship. We're going to have faith And those are the criteria for answered faith. Belief or faith and and praying in the will of God. Such tremendous power is open to us in prayer. How about you? Have you been having answers to prayer? Check this out. See if this applies to your life. Well, finally, I'm so glad that we have the Spirit of God in us that quickens our hearts and assures our hearts. It allows us to know that we're abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to understand some things that apply very clearly to our lives. Lord, help us to truly love. Help us not to get caught in the kingdom of darkness through hatred. Help us to be free of condemnation and free to be used in true power, the power you give us in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your spirit. Pray that each one that's heard this tape tonight will receive from you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.